Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In October of 2010, the historic chapel at Virginia Theological Seminary burnt to the ground. When I visited there for the first time six months later as a prospective student, the smell of fire and ash still lingered by the husk of the building. I probably don't need to tell you how monumental this loss was, how beloved the chapel was. The building was about 40 years older, younger actually, than the nave here in Calvary, so you can extrapolate your feelings there if you have them. But its loss wasn't just one congregation, right? This chapel was the symbolic and practical center of formation for thousands of priests for over 130 years. A chapel in a seminary. It's the place where you learn your life's work of leading a community in worship. It's where the word is proclaimed. And a couple of times, it's where that word lands in your heart in such a way that you remember it for a lifetime. It's where you say the daily office. It's the place that's unlocked at night for anyone who needs the stillness they can't find inside or the space to wrestle with God. It is a place, to paraphrase T.S. Eliot, that has known prayer. While I'm trying to relate to you the importance of this chapel to the community, I'm actually doing so with an entirely different chapel in my mind because my class never saw the burnt chapel, right? And we never saw the new chapel built at VTS, completed one year after we left. We were the class without a chapel. The generation who knew only the wilderness, as Exodus might have it. But that's not entirely true. We were the class of the Letty Pate Evans Chapel, an auditorium on the lower floor of the academic building that was renovated for use as a chapel. The upperclassmen hated it, of course. But when I think of holy and formative spaces in my life, that renovated auditorium is near the top. Think of a plain and spacious white-walled room slate-tiled floors, rows of simple chairs of light wood that matched the altar and the cross, the entire eastern wall of clear glass windows that blazed in the sunrise at the holiest moments of morning prayer. If you looked at the cross in the center of the room, it was adorned only with a fire alarm, conspicuously red in the middle of all this sort of modern plainness. Not the most aesthetically pleasing position, but it stayed there, despite considerable student outcry, constant 
outcry being characteristic of those living in the wilderness. I liked it. Look at the cross and be reminded that it lasts and that the fire doesn't. Look at the cross and remember that long before it was decorative jewelry, it was a symbol of the pain and sacrifice followers of Jesus would undergo. Remember that it is also through pain that God identifies with us. Today is Palm Sunday, the day when we remember the pain of the cross right after we remember Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. We read Matthew 21, when Jesus arrives and begins purposefully reenacting scripture to, to declare who he is, a king of the line of David. The people rush out to meet him, holding palm branches and laying their coats on the ground, shouting the ancient words, Hosanna. So we reenact their reenactment, just without the donkey or the colts, and this year without the crowds. I have great grief over this interim separation. But I'm also aware, along with that, that we might be emotionally closer to what was happening in that scene. When Jesus arrived, Matthew says, the whole city was in turmoil. Of course they are. Life in its order of the Roman Empire and religious authorities is turned upside down by the actions of Jesus. This, what happened, isn't so much a Mardi Gras as a collective sense of chaos and uncertainty. The whole city in turmoil. It sounds familiar. Hosanna, the people cry. And this is not just another word of praise like hallelujah. They had a word for that, and it was hallelujah. Hosanna literally means save, a petition, a cry for help. Save us, the people cry. There's a sense of, of frantic joy mixed in, like, like the shipwrecked crew who spot a rescue helicopter. If only the helicopter could see them. Hosanna. In April 2020, my Hosanna feels closer to true than it ever has, particularly when I am thinking of my family full of essential workers, my friends, and the medical community, and the vulnerable, and the elderly, and the alone. That's where my Hosanna has become true. And what we know is that when Jesus enters the scene today, things do not calm down or turn into sunshine and rainbows. The turmoil mounts throughout the week, though we skipped ahead to the passion, sit down this afternoon or throughout this week and read Matthew's account of what follows after chapter 21. The dread starts to escalate. And you know, I can feel it this year for Holy Week. The coming surge for us, not one of political violence or upheaval, but of a deadly virus multiplying quietly among us. This is the story of Holy Week. And you should know that the anxiety and fear you're feeling 
didn't disappear on the first Palm Sunday, and it might not be now. That's okay. Jesus is still entering in triumph beyond any feelings you're able to will away at this point. Though he has no easy answers. At one point, he says, as the story goes on, the temple will be no more, winning himself exactly zero friends and admirers. And when he foretells the temple's destruction, it's where I start having visions of burnt chapels and the locked red doors of our churches. Temple means very little to me. Calvary means something quite dear. And I know it does to many of you, too. I started with a story of an interim chapel because, while yes, I hear them say that it's people, after all, who make a church, it's also true that church makes people. It makes us the kind of people who, week after week, spend time in the pursuit of reconciliation and beauty and truth not as a theoretical, individualistic exercise, but in real time with real consequences in the company of real people. The buildings may go away for a while, but we always find ways of bringing them back to the glory of God. And you're doing it now, in houses, over the phone, even in that inhuman invention of Zoom. <laughs> So as a person who has spent a good deal of time in an interim, I'm wondering what this displacement in the holiest week of our year has to teach us if we can let go long enough of the regret at what is missing. Because what I trust is that if we, in this peculiarity of this moment, can identify with the dread and anxiety of this holy week more than ever, if I feel this week more than ever in my living memory, then this story becomes my story and your story, and that we will reach the other side of its well-worn arc. Not without pain, not without loss, but the one who conquered death will have been there with us the whole time. We find, as Abbot Chapman said, that in our darkest moments, we are being held so near God's heart that we cannot see his face. When Easter comes after the longest night, we'll come back changed. Amen. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.